So much of David's story is about the season leading up to him becoming king of Israel. All the struggles, all the strife, all the heartache, all the forgiveness, all the reconciliation, all just the grace he had to show to people around him, all the trusting of God he had to do before getting into that position. And now he's there. He has finally become the king of Israel, and he's in that place. And he enters this new season of life. And something even to note about that but when it comes to David's story is that David's story isn't one season of life. David's story is a lot of seasons of life. It's a lot of different places and a lot of different circumstances that he's in. And life is all about seasons and decisions that you make in those seasons because when you look at someone like David, who was in exile, his name was slandered at one point, and now here he is in a position on the throne where people respect him. He was the same person in that season. So even in a season of wanting, but even in a season of plenty... He is the exact same person in that season. And what you see in that is that he continues to walk with the Lord. How many of junior hires have ever felt like you've been patronized or patronized in the sense of like, man, I just don't like it when people don't treat me like an adult. Man, I wish I was older. Man, I wish I had responsibility. Man, I wish I could drive a car legally. Well, when it comes to that, and this is what's so important about someone with David's story. Because when you realize that someone like David is exactly the same, even when he has everything, that speaks to the here and now of who you are. That means that right now, you are becoming the very person you are going to be in that season when you do have responsibility. It's not a matter of just waiting and saying, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want, or it doesn't really matter right now until I get what I need or until I'm older. That's not true. Who you are now is who you will be in that season ahead. David was someone who understood that and followed the Lord when he had nothing which was why he followed the Lord when he had everything. In chapter 6, it's a story actually of him. It's a story about um, a lot of things. But this morning, we're going to look specifically at worship in itself. How many of you guys like worship? (laughs) Yes. Um, Worship is something that comes in so many different forms. And this story looks at how what worship is, but it also looks at what worship isn't. And so if you guys want to start with me, Chapter 6, verse 1. This is after David has taken the throne. And David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. Just so you guys know, when it says that he wants to bring up the ark, it's referring to this thing called the Ark of the Covenant, is what it's called in the Old Testament. It was something that God gave instructions to Moses to build this place where God would reside amongst them. And what the Bible even says about those things, you're like, God in a box. You know, maybe you might be saying that, but what the Bible says is that these things like the Ark of the Covenant are a shadow of heavenly things. Because in the same way with the nation of Israel, that God resided in the Ark of the Covenant around us, so God resides with us every day in our lives, and his presence is with us. That was just a physical example, this this physical presence that reminds us even now through Jesus that he resides in us now. We're kind of like the Ark of the Covenant because he resides in us. And so David at this point, he says, it's not, he wants to bring it to Jerusalem. He wants to bring it kind of to the capital city. Jerusalem is called the city of David because that was where he resided. That's even today known as kind of the central 
place of Israel, um, the city on a hill, those things that you hear. In fact, the word says that we're supposed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem because it's so vital in God's eyes. And so when he says, okay, we're going to bring the ark out, it continues on to say, they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ohio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacom, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because of the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perizuza, which means breaking out against Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. So instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. So what had happened at this point, if um, you had trouble following along there, they are bringing it out. They're bringing the Ark of the Covenant from the house of Abinadab, which is far away from Jerusalem. And they're celebrating. But something that you, you, you see in this story is that they put it, it says on a, on a cart, a new cart is what the word says. And then what you see happen is this man named Uzzah, he reaches out his hand to kind of keep the the Ark of the Covenant, from stumbling, and it said that he fell there. It says that he died there for his irreverent act. And so you might read that and go, whoa. Um, clarification, please. Um, why, why did that happen? Something about the Ark of the Covenant, what you see throughout the Bible, is that there are all these laws, there were all these regulations around how, what to touch and what not to touch because it was holy. And to be holy means to be unique. It was different, to be purified, and so they're bringing it out. And even what it would say is that when you bring out the Ark of the Covenant, you're actually supposed to put it on these um, poles, and then priests and Levites were supposed to carry it. So when he puts it on a cart dragged by an ox, that would be the equivalent of, like, having the Ark of the Covenant be dragged by your house cat. Like, you know? Like, it was something blatantly... Just why would you do that? And where is the respect factor of God's covenant in that? When he so clearly made it obvious to them, that's not how you're supposed to bring it out. So when you see... Stop. (laughs) Just, Just dropping a match and gas. So when you see in a story like this, of they're celebrating before the Lord, but simultaneously they're being so reckless in the way that they're worshiping God. And what ends up happening is, so you're not even supposed to touch the Ark of the Covenant. That's, a, that's so clearly known. And so he touches it, just like, hey, don't want it to stumble. And then this happens, and they go, what? Wait a minute, why did that happen? And I think that's an important lesson, because we're going to read the rest of the story, but to even just stop here and realize what worship is in this story... Because David, you learn a lot from David from what he did right, but you also learn a lot from David by what he did wrong. Even the most righteous of people make mistakes as well. That's, that gives me hope. That gives us all hope. 
Because when you look at a story like this, you see someone who is at one point, just like it said in this scripture in verse 5, they were celebrating with all their might and with instruments. But simultaneously, they're being so reckless in another part of their life. And so it almost just became a point of they just wanted to do it well in this area, but not well in this area as well. See, that goes against what worship really is. Because oftentimes in our own lives, we are so careful and so detailed about following God in these ways, and then just simultaneously so, so reckless, so reckless in the way that we would follow God. It's true, and it's, it's something that I know I do, and I know it's something that we all know that we do at times. And you could even look at things in your life, like maybe look at your own appearance. Maybe you're here before God, and you're like, God, I'm going to be so diligent about following you in these areas. But then when it comes to your beauty and your appearance, it's all about you. It's just reckless. Maybe it's the way you use social media. It could be the way that you treat your friends. It could be the very words of your mouth. It could be the actions of your lives. It could be the way you talk to your parents. It could be the way that you treat one another. It's like, God, I'm going to be so careful in this area. I'm going to be so diligent. But then not even on the radar over here. Maybe the things that are a little harder to follow God in. See, worship is something so much more than just singing in this story. See, worship is a part of who you are, and it's, it's a part of who all we are in this story. See, you're all worshipers in this room. Amen? Everyone in this room is a worshiper today. Can we get an amen for that? That is a big deal. And that is a very, that's a gift from God. God made you in such a way that you get to worship God with your life. And not just to worship in song, but with everything that you do in your life. And so when you read and go through a story like this, you see so many different aspects of what worship is. And I think first and foremost, when you look at the first part of the story of, they were singing, they were up, Israel led them in a great set of worship. But there was recklessness in the other parts of their hearts which was also equally as worship as well. See, worship, it's from your heart, not necessarily from instruments, not necessarily just a song that you sing. Even Jesus himself, when talking about worship, he would say that those who worship God, he would say that God is spirit. And that's important to note for us because God is spirit and those who worship God worship him in spirit and in truth. Can you guys say spirit and truth with me? Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth are these two things that we worship God in. See, God is spirit and so are you. Oftentimes we can look at ourselves in physical, just a physical lens. I'm a physical person. But you are not just a physical person. You're spiritual. God breathed his spirit into you. God, God has uniquely made you, which is why when you suffer spiritually, sometimes you might have trouble understanding what's going on inside of you because you're only looking at physical things. In fact, what the word would even say is that spiritual things can manifest itself into physical things around us. And so attitudes, you know, mindsets, perspectives, beliefs, hurts and pains can all come from just things that are happening inside of us way beyond the physical level. Our, our, our battle isn't just with flesh and blood. And so when you look at that, 
that can be a point of even ignorance or just ignoring that so often. And I want to be clear about that as well because there's a difference. And if you're going to take anything from this morning, please take this. There's a difference between being emotional and being spiritual. Amen? There is a big difference between. Now, oftentimes, when, we're, when we're, God is with us, he invokes emotions. God created emotions. I'd like to believe that God was hilarious when he was on earth because he created humor. But what you see from the word is you see a God who would express the very emotions that he gave us. And so when you think about all the different ways of worship, you know, you got the one hand raise or you got the, you risk for the bridge, the two hand raise, you know, like, or even just the, my favorite, it's like holding your pet cat. That's two cat references. But also as well, some of you like to scream worship, and that's okay, and that's great. But worship is also this. It's also right here. So worship is just as much this. Sitting there before the Lord. Worship can also be something where you can receive from just allowing God into your heart. Worship is so different. When you look at the Psalms, if you've never read the Psalms, you should read them. Psalms is a worship book written by David. Most of those Psalms are songs. They're lyrics. That's what they are. David would sing them. They would play instruments to them. But you see so many different moods and understandings of what songs were. Joyfully proclaiming God's goodness. That's worship. But oftentimes, interceding, God, I need your help right now. God, I'm struggling. That's worship too. Sitting before the Lord. Sitting in peace and knowing that he is God. He makes wars cease and be still and know that he's God. That's worship too. You see all these different kind of modes and expressions of the heart. It's not just the, the wailing kid in the, you know, like, and you're just sitting there like, that's not me right now. You know, like, that's, so am I not worshiping? A funny story happened a couple of weeks ago at high school camp. There's a kid that I know, um, he just graduated from Westside. I don't know much about him. Um, I just met him this last year, but he was serving as one of the gophers. And I remember something happened during worship. We were both sitting in the back by each other. And the minute that the, that the music started, he pulls out this journal and he pulls out his Bible and he just sits down and he just begins writing about God's goodness right there and just declaring it, just him and God, worship finished, closed it, and was there. And I saw that and I was like, that is worship too. That is equally as worship as just screaming your lungs out. But I think something as well, just so you know, when it comes to worship, there's a big difference between expressing your heart like this and rejecting, in a sense. Did you know that Israel and other leaders, when they come up here, whether they're preaching the word or whether they're leading worship, can tell how your spirit's doing? Did you know that? Did you know that they stand in a place of discernment and wisdom to tell how you're doing? Oftentimes, we can look at students. I can look at students right now, and there's this ability to be able to tell how your heart is doing. There are times when we sense, man, someone, that, they are hurting. We need to intercede for them. Even as we preach or lead worship, there's intercession that happens. 
Because it's this place, you know, as a leader, we stand, I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of God right now. Talk about pressure, you know. But there's this point of understanding of standing in between what God is saying from him to you that allows us to sense how you guys are doing. You see, there's this point, too, where even we can, we can tell how your worship is going. We can tell where your heart is at. And that's a gift. I think God allows leaders like that. He wouldn't allow your leaders in your room to be able to understand that when they press in and say, God, how are they doing? God speaks and God shows certain things. He's miraculous that way. Which probably leads to the next point. Worship isn't about what you do, but why you do it. See, all those different ways you can worship God. You can worship God in any way you want. But what's more important is why you do it. And who are you doing it for? See, worship can come back to this place of how is your heart right now? And why are you doing that? If, if you scream, scream for the Lord. If you need to sit down and journal, journal for the Lord. If you just need to sit right there and just pray, if you need to intercede, if you need healing, if you need to just express yourself, do it for the Lord and do it with the Lord. It's when, and it could be anything, you could scream and your heart could not be right. You could sit down and your heart could not be right. Ultimately, it's about the heart. It's about the heart of worship behind it. See, when you get into a story like this, it could be easy to say, when you look at how David was like, we want the ark back in Jerusalem, and they were dancing and celebrating. But what you could take from this story is in this first part, it was probably more about him and just having the ark in Jerusalem than it was about worshiping God. Because if it was about worshiping God, he would have done it God's way. Amen? And you see even a change in heart in the rest of the story as we'll continue to read in verse 12, so we're left off at, the ark has been left at a guy named Obed-Edom's house for three months, and it said that his house was blessed by the Lord. So in verse 12, it says, Now King David was told the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went up to bring the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. I love that so much because here's someone where David made a mistake before the Lord, and yet what it would ultimately end with is, hey, I'm the same God that will bless you. So try again. Try again. Get back on your horse and let's do this again together. And with rejoicing, they brought it back. And in verse 13, it says, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Everyone go, ooh. Whew. Holla. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. And then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd to Israelites. What a gift. You get raisins. Both men and women and all the people went into their homes. 
Now, when David returned home to bless his household, I love that because it's now back, and when God's presence comes, and when you're done worshiping God, the blessing goes to your house too. So when you're done worshiping here, guess whose house you get to go bless? Your own house. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, she's being sarcastic, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Harsh words. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. We're going to stop right there. See, when you look at kind of what happened in the rest of the story, God blesses and allows them to bring the ark back. They take six steps, and they start sacrificing before God. Start, that was something that they didn't do the first time, and that's important, and we'll talk about that. But when you see it coming into Jerusalem, you see his wife, um, Michal, who was the daughter of Saul, the one who had persecuted him. It said that she despised him in her heart, that there was something in her that just was not happy because David was king and that Saul was gone. And so she approaches him and says, well, way to just embarrass yourself by the way you would dance. Way, way to embarrass yourself in front of the people of Israel by the way that you worship Something that I personally, probably one of my biggest insecurities growing up has always been, what do the people around me think about me while I worship? Anyone ever felt like that before? Anybody ever wonder what people think about you as you worship? Maybe you are a dancer. Maybe that's the way that you like to dance, but you never dance in here because you're just so scared of what other people might think. But what you see in David's story is that he worships God in his own way. And even with kind of just sarcastic comments. He would turn, and here's where truth comes in, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. He would say, it was before the Lord that he chose me. That's, you're, just, you're just mad because your father wasn't chosen. And then he would go on to say, and this is spirit, but you know what? I'll act even crazier to worship God if I have to. Because worship is about you and God. Worship is not dependent on anyone but you. This is something that's so important to understand about worship because worship is not dependent on the music. It's not dependent on the people around you. But worship is a decision that you get to make in your heart. We have all been made to worship things, and all of us worship something Worship would even be defined in the Bible as giving praise to, giving reverence, giving respect to. We all give worship to certain things in our lives. But what God wants to do is he wants to hone that in and make it go towards the Lord and have our worship of him overflow into every part of our lives. You know, something as a, as a coach, when we say worship in every part of our lives, this is what it means. The way that you talk to your parents is an act of worship to God. The way that you would post about yourself, what you post about and why you post about it is an act of worship towards God. It was funny. One of my friends, and this probably comes back to the whole reckless thing. 
love him to death, so I'm not going to throw him under the bus. Um, uh, he, like, posted this picture of himself, and you could tell it was like a, a modeling thing of himself. And so you could just tell, just tight shirt, you know, like sunglasses and hair all done. And then I look at the caption, it's like, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I'm like, no! What? And then you look at his profile, and the last 12 photos are of him. And so isn't that funny, though? Because it's like, oh, praise God. But then the rest of his life is like, me, baby. Yeah. Worship is something, the way that you talk to your friends is an act of worship. You see, when the word says, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you love God with your spirit, but you also love him with your mind and the little things as well. Something as a coach um, that I did that we talked about often was how do you worship God by the way that you play or how do you honor God by the way that you play? Most of the time, the discussion would be, well, you pray for them after the match? And I would tell them, yes, that is one way, but what else? And they're like, I don't really know after that. And then would begin this discussion of, what if the effort that you put into how you play, what if your sportsmanship, what if being the absolute best teammate, what if being coachable, what if being teachable showed God to those around you? And that was an act of worship. What if that was worship? What if when you were at school, you were the absolute best student and you gave your all, you respected your teachers and you respected the other students in the room as an act of worship? See, that's just as much worship as anything that happens up here. What about when you're out with friends? What the conversation, what, what it's like, the dynamics and things, what do you bring? What, what dynamic do you bring to that? That's an act of worship as well. See, worship is in everything that you do. That's the diligence, that's the details of it that you get to do. It's not something you just turn on and turn off and say, it's me time. But worship is something that you actively live in with your lives. Can we get an amen to that? Worship is done in all situations as well. This is something I want to talk about with you guys as well. Um, See, worship isn't just done at a particular time because it is a decision, but it's a decision in everything. There are three scriptures I'm just going to reference to you right now. Two of them are not up, but the last one I believe is. Um, later on in David's story, he sinned greatly, and we're going to tackle that in a couple weeks. And he suffered the consequences of his own decision. He committed adultery, and he committed murder. And he, he, he suffered for it, and those around him suffered. But something that's interesting in chapter 12 that it talks about is the minute that he had the fullness of his consequences, it said that David got up and he worshipped even in the midst of his own sin and his own downfall, that he would get up and he would say, God, I need to come to you, and God, I need to make this right. God, I praise you because you're good, and you can forgive me. How many of you have ever heard of the story of Job as well? You see, after Job had lost his family, what the word says in chapter 1 is that he got up and he worshipped God. So not only in our own sin and our own shortcomings, but just in the brokenness of life, sometimes when it's not our fault, we get up and worship. 
But then there's a third one that I want to talk about as well because it talks about Saul. We all know Saul from the story. Saul had just sinned before the Lord, and the prophet was talking to him and confronted him with it. He said, you sinned against the Lord by doing this. And he said, you're right, I have sinned. And what it says in second, or 1 Samuel 15 is he says, okay, I need you to come with me so that you can approve me to worship. He says, come with me so that I'm able to worship. And there is something so different about David's heart and Saul's heart in that moment. Because you don't need someone to approve you to be able to worship of God. Amen? You don't need someone to say, oh, can you come with me? Oh, I need you to vouch for me that I'm a good Christian so I'm able to worship. You enter worship right where you're at, no matter what's going on. Good, bad, beautiful, ugly, whatever you're at in life. Worship is this thing that you decide in a situation and that you give to God no matter what's happening. If you need to offer your sin to God in worship, that's the place to do it. If you need to offer your own trust and your own life to God, that's the place to do it. If you need to offer your praise and celebrate God, that's the place to do it. But ultimately, it comes back to sacrifice. Worship is sacrifice. Worship is sacrifice. And worship, when you worship God, not only here, but in everything you do, that's where the sacrifice happens. That's where the exchanging happens, where things of your own heart that you're holding on to, that you give to God, happens. That's why it's so important to look in this story that David took six steps and he said, stop. We need to sacrifice before the Lord right now. We need to give this up to God right now. And even when they would get there, it says, we need to give it up again and again. You see something even too about that story. That's the picture of Jesus in our lives with worship because it's like the stop. It's time to sacrifice. It's time to give up certain things. When you try to worship God without sacrifice... You look like the first part of this story. You're up here, yes, God, you're so good. But you're dying and you're suffering consequences and you're hurting and you don't know why and you're holding on to things in your life that are killing you. See, worshiping without sacrificing is no worship at all. Worship is sacrifice. You can't separate the two. See, the beauty of coming in here is it's this posture It's this humility that comes before you. And to truly enter into worship, you cannot be prideful. It's impossible to truly enter into worship um, with pride. That's one thing that just does not fit through God's door into his worship and his holy sanctuary. Because pride is the complete antithesis of worship. It's this humility of giving things up. So when we gather here, and maybe you think you're unworthy because of what you did last night, Maybe you're in here because you feel guilty because of things that you've done or things that you said. You are worthy to come in here, and you are worthy to give that to God this morning. Amen? You are worthy. That is worship. That is true worship of God. In fact, what God would even say is sacrifices, just giving outward things, talking about sacrificing bulls and cows and things, he says, It's not just those things that he really desires. He says, but a broken and contrite heart, God, you are pleased with it, is what it says in Psalm 51. It's like God wants us to sacrifice our heart and to give it to him. That's where life comes. 
And I think there are plenty of us in this room that can tell of the countless times in our lives where we were either suffering or it felt like we were just kind of getting beneath the surface and barely treading above water, and we just had to worship, and we just had to offer it to God. And it was like God took our feet and put it on solid ground. God renewed us because we gave it to him. See, that's what worship is. Worship is all about the heart, and worship is all about you and God. It's not dependent. Look around the room. Your worship is not dependent on the people that you're looking at right now. But instead, you get to make a decision before God with us together. See, that's what makes us family, and it makes us even stronger together when we do that. We make that decision from the heart together. And so, Israel, if you want to come back up. The last thing I want to talk about in this story, probably my favorite part about it, is worship isn't God coming to you. It's you coming to God. In this story... It, it mentions Obed-Edom, this guy that the, that the house was brought to, or the ark was brought to his house and that he blessed him. And then it gets taken from his house. But there's something, whenever, whenever I have the opportunity to teach, I'll look at other scriptures that are related to it. But there's something in it that was beautiful. If, Natalie, you want to put up that verse from First Chronicles. So I'm not going to read the first part. It just is listing names of people who were serving in the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And there's the people that blew the trumpets, which, how would you like to be known in human history as the dude that blew trumpets before the Lord? And just, let's praise God. But look at this. Look at what it says right there. Obed-Edom, look at with me, guys. Obed-Edom were also to be doorkeepers for the ark. He had left his house to serve in Jerusalem with the Ark of the Lord as well. And isn't that funny how the Ark would come into his life? He would bless him. It would change his life. And then all of a sudden it would be less about God coming to him. It would be more about him going with God. He could not sit behind while God was on the move. It was something that he had to get up and move with his life as well. You see, worship is not only the sacrifice towards God, but it's this following of Christ. And it's better to follow God into his house than to stay in your own. Amen. So this morning we're going to we're going to respond in worship. We're going to respond in spirit, but we're also going to respond in truth this morning. And so as our eyes are just closed, maybe you're here this morning and you've been like David in the first part of the story where you've just been trying to celebrate, you've just been trying to dance and leap for joy, but there's this there's, there's this hurt and there's this pain. Maybe there's this, you've been ignoring a certain part of God because it's been a little bit harder. Maybe this morning you need to give that to God. You need to sacrifice that to God this morning. Whatever it is, there is nothing beyond God's redemptive hands in your life. God desires nothing more than for us to present our hearts to him. So this morning, maybe you're struggling with sexual purity. Maybe this morning you're just struggling with sin. Maybe you're struggling with bitterness towards someone in your life or in your family. You just got to give that to God right now. God, we do that right now. God, we present that to you right now. God, this is our truth of worship that, God, you are truly to be worshipped and you are truly to be entrusted with everything in our lives this morning. God, we want to follow you. Maybe you've been in a place where you've allowed God to go into your house, but you haven't followed God to his. Maybe this morning you need to make that decision of, man, I've just been... I've been so diligent in certain parts of my life, but I've been so reckless in others.
you need to ask not only for his grace, but just his joy to just follow him again and say, God, I'm going to follow you. I want to be a part of your house and what you're up to. God, I don't want you to be a part of my life. God, I want to be a part of yours. But that's the cry of our heart this morning. And so, Jesus, we worship you. God, we worship you from our heart. God, we worship you from our own decision, our own personal decision, not our parents, not our friends, not our leaders, not even our culture. Lord, we decide to worship you and we commit to worship you. Lord, we present our heart and Lord, we're okay with however we worship, whatever it looks like, whether it's screaming for joy or whether it's just bowing down before you, whether it's tears of joy or just tears of mourning. Lord, we worship you.